morning, everybody. God bless you for being here today. Welcome again to JC's. We're glad you guys are joining us this morning. Amen. We are turning to the Word of God this morning. Let me find it. <laughs> and uh, we're so proud to have you to join us. Turn around and shake somebody's hand. Say, welcome to Grace Point. Tell them we're glad that they're here this morning. Let me just say this. We, the title is Grace Resurgence. Grace Resurgence. And there is, I mean, hey, you're at Grace Point Church, right? But there is a grace resurgence, I believe. You could uh, say that it's taking place across the church today. And uh, the gospel of grace is just really being preached. It's being reasserted. And it's being cherished, and, it sh and rightly so. Uh, many Christians that have been walking with the Lord you know, for a long time, for many years, yet they're just now coming into the revelation or discovering the freedom and the power and the peace that comes from the revelation of God's grace, of his forgiveness, of his acceptance. And it just, when, you, when we realize that, when we receive that grace, uh, it just changes everything. Amen? Um, and that's what we want to look at this morning. I want to read Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. I'm going to read it first out of the New King James Version, and then I'm going to read it out of the, the, uh, the Message Bible. It's a paraphrase, and, uh, but it's just so cool the way uh, that that uh, is translated there. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you what? Rest. He's not talking about people that's tired on their jobs. It has nothing to do with you working all week and you're just tired. and has nothing to do with that. He's talking about people that have labored under the law, trying to do things, keep rules, and somehow arrive at a place of acceptance by God, by their performance. That's what he's talking about. Now, Jesus offers something totally different. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many Christians are living their life, and that doesn't, that doesn't really give a good identity to the kind of Christian life they're living? Uh, a lot of Christians, I grew up with Christians saying, I'm so heavily burdened. You know, you ask them, how you doing? They, they, they name their two <clears throat> greatest challenges, and they'll say, y'all, you know, pray for me that I'll make it, or it used to be in my church I grew up, we pray that we'll hold true to the end, you know, it's just like that Christianity somehow was a survival package that they got, and, uh, you know, it didn't help you so much now, it, it, was, it was great for the future, but that's not what God's saying at all. I want you to listen to the Message Bible, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verse 28, 29, and 30, same passage, Matthew 11, he says, are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that good? Amen. That is so good. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. And help us this day to learn of you, to take upon your yoke, Lord God, your burden. And we pray that you would help us to release that bondage of religion. And we'll walk into freedom and the power and the peace of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Amen. These verses uh, that Jesus are talking about are not telling us how to take a vacation or to get rest for our physical bodies, but he's talking about those who have labored under that old covenant and trying to have that heavy burden, that heavy load of trying to be acceptable to God by keeping the law. And then Jesus comes along and he says, my yoke is easy, I have a light burden, and the grace message that brought rest for your souls is what Jesus delivered. Now, to me, I guess the biggest thing on my heart is, I, you know, the biggest challenge I see is a lot of Christians, you know, we, we sing songs in church. We sing the, and we make these statements, these testimonies. We say God's never failed us. And yet I've, I've been doing this for 34 years, and yet there are Christians that are sitting there when they're hearing that saying, well, he sure did fail me. And they're, they're numbering him in, the, in their mind. They're numbering how many times that they... It, you know, you can say, well, it seemed like he failed. Well, the Lord never failed you. Well, it depends on what gospel you signed up for. But in other words, you know, the, the whole basis of your salvation, and if we're not careful, there's a, I, I, I had to pastor this in people, and their salvation was explained to them as a ticket to heaven. And, and, and not that that's wrong, but it, it's, it's, it's just woefully incomplete. Salvation is much more than that. It wasn't so much that God saved you so that you could go to heaven. He saved you so that heaven could come to you. In other words, that it could be in you, Christ in you. That's the, that's the whole thing. But so we, what is the basis of your salvation? What is the why in your salvation? In other words, if salvation is just something for you to have a better life, and I know I, I, I mentioned this some weeks ago, like in Acts 20 where the Apostle Paul, he says, he says, I know that I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. He said, it's been, he said, I don't know the things that's going to happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit has shown to me that bondage and imprisonment and tribulations await me. But then the next verse he says, but none of these things move me. For I count not my life dear to myself. And I told you this is an amazing uh, difference when you read the life of the Apostle Paul, post-resurrection, post in, 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 the, in the grace that we're walking in today. And there I told you in the little book of uh, Philippians, just four little chapters, Paul is awaiting execution. He has been there in that prison for years. He is awaiting execution. He's in a dungeon. It's not even like a prison that we would think about. Uh, he had to be lowered into it through a hole. It's actually a physical place you can go see. I've seen pictures of it. I haven't been there. And he was in prison there for years. And yet from that prison, he wrote the book of Philippians, which is just four chapters. And 27 times in that, in that little book, he mentions joy or rejoicing. And he's instructing the church on how to rejoice and to be glad and, 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 and just, just live their life. Because we don't realize, and so what makes this guy so, so different than the, most of us? 
because we're, we're as only good as what we're going through. Well, how are you doing? Well, I'm hanging in there. You're hanging in there. And, and I told you now, some weeks ago, I, I, we, I, I talked about the myth, the myth of brokenness. And a whole lot of ministry is focused on keeping people broke. When that's, there's not one shred of a New Testament verse that ever says that. Because you're not broke once you're born again. Colossians says that you are complete in him. You're complete in him. Now that's either true or it's not true. But what do we do? More, Lord, more of you. You can't get any more. You got the fullness of God bodily in Christ when you received Christ. Not only did you receive Christ, he received you because you were put in Christ. Y'all just let me know when I say something that makes sense. So what's the whole basis of our salvation? It's union with Christ. You, you, you're not saved because you said some magic words called the sinner's prayer, which that's actually not in the Bible. You're, you're saved because you put your faith in Christ and God put you in Jesus. It don't say if any man be in church, he's a new creation. It says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. This is all about location. Now, he put us in Christ, and then he put Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul said. Well, so I don't understand it. You don't have to. Just believe it. We're not receiving intellect. We're receiving, this is faith. And, and, and so you're saved because you are one with the Lord. And his saving life is now your life. The Bible says anybody that's been born again, Paul said you're one spirit. Do you not know that you are one spirit with the Lord? Uh, Paul said he endured so many things, he said, in 2 Timothy 2 and 10, to obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, that salvation is in Christ Jesus. And so we mislead people when we sell salvation as just the ticket to heaven. Uh, salvation is not about being put into a lifeboat, but it's about being put into Jesus. And, and in fact, the people that are in a lifeboat, think about that in a, in a you know, a salvation thing. When we sang this morning, Lord rescued me, we're not talking about the Titanic going down and we get you in the lifeboat and you're one of the lucky ones. Because if you're in the lifeboat, you still got to be rescued. You haven't been rescued yet. But I'm trying to tell you this is exactly why a lot of Christians live their life. They, they, have, a, they have a lifeboat mentality. In other words, they have a I still need to be rescued mentality. And, 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 and they're always anxious and they're fearful and they're like, they see themselves like bobbing in the lifeboat. A lot of Christians are still trying to wait till they get to heaven to see if they made it or not. When the Bible says when you're born again, you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's what Ephesians teaches. And so they live their life in that ocean of their own insecurity and they're just, they dread the judgment more than sinners do. And our judgment's in the past. Because Christ was judged and we received him. Uh, we don't fear judgment. Why? Because Romans 8 is not a lie. Verse 1, there is therefore now no judgment, no condemnation, no punishment to those that are in. There it is again, in Christ Jesus. And so all, all, these, all these verses here, when you read, I don't have time to go through all that this morning, but the whole book of Ephesians to me is the greatest New Testament book that defines the identity of a believer. 
And when you, you, you start in chapter 1, Paul starts out telling them that the whole purpose, guys, that you, you were born again is for the praise of his glory. And all I'm trying to say to you this morning is that, that we got a lot of Christians that are miserable. And they feel like God failed them because they, they, this, this happened or that happened or this didn't happen like they wanted to. And, and, and because they signed up for the wrong Jesus. In other words, salvation was preached to them as something that they add on to their life to make them have a great life. And they expect to have no problems and no difficulties because the way it was presented to them. In other words, salvation was totally about them. And so therefore, when they do have problems, I mean, how many times have I heard, especially, and it's gotten worse in the last 10 years, you know, somebody else introduced me to somebody or they'll point at somebody and said they used to go to church. Or they used to go to this church, or they used to go to that church, or, or I'm talking to people and they say, well, I used to go to church. You used to. They used to. Well, see, this is people that see no purpose whatsoever in the community of the body of Christ. Why? Because salvation to them was explained it's all about them. So they don't need that. They don't need anything else because it ain't about the body. It ain't about anything else other than them having a good day and so when something happens in your life like happened to Paul notice Paul didn't do like we do when Paul went through tough in other words they throw him in prison he goes to the Philippian jail in Acts 16 he get, he, only the only reason he's there because God sent him there by a vision from a man from Macedonia that he saw in a vision saying come to this area and help us he goes there he preaches the gospel he gets thrown in prison with Silas not only does he get thrown in prison, he gets beaten with rods. Okay, this is pretty brutal. And then, not only that, he gets chained to the wall. And it's midnight. It's midnight. That's what the Bible says. It wants us to know that it's midnight. And it's midnight, and it says he prayed. And I told you, I get that. I'd be praying too. But I believe my prayers have been different than Paul's. But it don't say he just prayed. It said he prayed and sang hymns unto God. And you look at the Greek word they translated hymns. It is boisterous songs. Paul began to sing boisterous praise songs to God at midnight. In other words, what they did to him did not affect his sonship with God. In other words, Ephesians 1 says that when you got born again, it was that you were to adopt it as sons. Of course, that means daughter, but you were adopted as sons. So your identity is a son. And I'm just telling you, I just don't think that, that the average Christian that we get this. Our identity in our relationship is vertical. It doesn't mean we don't have the horizontal relationship, but, but our identity, what, what keeps us stable, what, what makes us steady as it goes is that I'm a son. And there, see, and there's nothing that you can do to me that'll change that. You, you can't stop me from praying. You can't stop me from his presence. You can't stop me. You can't revoke my sonship. You, you cannot like me, not quite, but you can't, they ain't nothing. It's like MC Hammer said, you can't touch this. You can't, you can't mess it up. But I told you, and I know I, I, I've said this before, but I, it's just on my heart again. When, when most people say, I love you, what they're really saying is, I need you. If it, see, that, that's why I've met people. I mean, I've got people that, that I know even in my own family. 
okay? And I don't mean this if you got animals, so don't, don't send me nothing or write me nothing, okay? So I'm not saying if you got an animal, you got a problem. I've, I've always had animals up to where I, in the last, you know, probably seven, eight years, where I live, it's just not conducive to have them, really, to me. But, but I've always had, you know, all kind of animals. But I've met people that, man, the way they treated animals, in other words, they surround themselves with a lot of animals. Now, one, one common trait, if you go in a house and they got 15 cats, most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, you, you, got, you got a person there who has been hurt by humans. They have surrounded themselves by animals which love unconditionally. And which is what they want. And they say, I'm going to pour into this. And I've had people look at me and say, you know, I, animals are far better than people. The reason they're saying that is because that animal, that dog or that cat, my, my, my uh, daughter lives down the street from us. They got a dog here a while back. And, and uh, her name's Briskly. And she, she, she knows me. And I pet her. And I love all that. You know, but she loves unconditionally. No, it just loves unconditionally. And see, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we were, were supposed to do in the, in the beginning. But the, the thing that happened to all of us is when, see, those emotions that you're struggling with, you didn't get them from God. You got them from Adam. That's what Genesis 5 says. Well, I thought we were creating the image of God. Adam was, but you and I was creating the image of Adam. Read your Bible. So you didn't have to be taught to have anger. It, it came on board. You can see it in a little baby, just pull their passy out their mouth, and they'll get angry right quick. Ah! <laughs> I mean, you don't have to teach a kid to slap another kid and say, mine. What is that? Selfishness. It's all about me. It's all about me. So what do we see as the first result of sin in the garden? We see self-notice, selfishness. In other words, Adam and Eve, they, they begin to focus not on God any longer, on their self. They made fig leaves for themselves. They hid from God. They, it was all about self. And we've been fighting that thing ever since. But what Jesus went on the cross for, see, nobody, no preacher ever told me. All I was ever told was that Jesus died on the cross because I was a dirty, rotten sinner. Now that he, he gave his life, then the least I could do was try to, you know, give him mine. Which is kind of like trying to pay God back for what he did, which is blasphemous. You can't even attempt to, it's ridiculous. It's not a blessing. You're not saved, saved to serve. That's not in the Bible. You're not saved to serve. You're saved to be a son. You're you saying we don't serve? I didn't say that. You said that. You don't think I serve my wife? But if I married her for her to serve me, we're in trouble. Or she, you understand? So there is service, but it's out of the love relationship. See, there's so many, too many Christians got a servant master mentality. Jesus don't want to be that relationship with you. In fact, when he came out, he said, no longer do I call you servants. He said, I don't call you servants. For a servant don't even know what his master's up to. He don't even know the plans. He just says, go, go, and come and come. That's all. Jesus said, I don't want that relationship with you. He said, I call you friends. 
And as soon as he come out of the uh, tomb, he said, go tell my brethren. He upped the ante. Go tell my brethren. That's a relationship that God wants with Not master-slave mentality. That's not what God wants. God didn't save you to be a slave. He saved you to be a son and daughter and be in relationship. So that's why that in itself doesn't change. But So we see people a lot of times like with those animals again. They surround themselves because they, they, their heart, they've been hurt so bad by people. And what they say is, I'll never, I'll never be hurt like that again. And so they'll just surround themselves with animals and they'll just, and, and I've seen, I've met these people, man. You touch an animal and they'll, they'll just become incensed, almost enraged because they care more about an animal because that animal hadn't hurt them. And, and, and so you, you, that, I'm trying to get you to see, but what we were created like that. You see, you see this with parents with kids. In other words, if your kid's messed up, then guess what? Your life's messed up. And I'm not saying it doesn't affect. I mean, I got three grown kids and grandbabies now. And, and, and it's amazing if I allow it the power they can have over my life. In other words, if they're doing well, I'm well. If they're doing bad, I'm doing bad. In other words, if they're in trouble, if they're hurting, and it doesn't mean you don't care, but that still doesn't change my identity. See, if I woke up today and my day whether I'm having a wonderful day depends on whether you like me or not, then I'm, a, then I'm bound to you. And I can only be as good as you allow me to be. Well, how you doing? Well, you, do you see the difference that I'm trying to get you to see today? This is how Paul lived his life. That's why he said, I know how to be abased. I know how to be exalted. He said, I've learned in whatever state that I'm in to be content in it. In other words, nothing changes my sonship. If I'm, if I'm in the palace or if I'm in the prison, it doesn't change. I'm still happy because I'm in Christ. I'm still a son. I'm, I've already won. I'm not waiting to see if I won. I've already won because I've been born again. I'm in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't change anything. But Paul wasn't under the misnomer that I, you know, I, I took on Christ so that every day would be without problems. You know? Old washing machine tore up today. The devil's just trying, that old devil's trying to get me. Yeah, he's after your Maytag. I mean, that's, he's running out of stuff to do, ain't he, if he's taking your washer. Well, I had a flat tire. The devil tried to stop me. That's, it's just ridiculous. Y'all just pray for me. Really. And, 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 and that's what I, why I want you to say. Colossians says you are complete in him. And yet we've spent so much time in the church not knowing. That's why Paul would say this a lot. He said, know you not that you're the temple of God, that you're a dwelling place for God in the spirit? Don't you know that? He said, told him in Colossians, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Lord? Why would you join it to a harlot? Don't you know that any man that's with Christ is one spirit with the Lord? That's what, in other words, Paul was always reminding them of their identity. He said, you are a chosen generation. You're, you're a royal priesthood. Those, you are verses. He said, you, you are, the, you are the, the light of the world now. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but you're the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Stop. Be a branch. You can't be a branch without the vine. 
He said you can't produce fruit, but he's, he said anyone who abides in me. What's he talking about? If you're in Christ, the fruit is an automatic result of the work of the Spirit. You don't have to strain to have love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. You just have to let it flow because it comes from him. And so we see parents, their whole identity is in their kids. That's why they freak out so bad when their kids are not doing right because their identity is wrapped up in their kids. In other words, they, they don't have an identity in Christ. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Our identity is sons and daughters in Christ. The Ephesians 1 says you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in Christ. Not just you're chosen. You as an individual. It don't mean God, you're chosen in Christ. It's all about in Christ. And, and, and so you see this where, where parents try to force the kid to, to live a life that they wanted to live and didn't live. Well, I, you know, I, I want you to, you know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't encourage kids to go, you know, but the Bible says you train up a child in the way that they should go. And actually the, the Hebrew of that is train up a child in the way that they're bent. You understand? My oldest son up here to beat the drums today. It didn't take me long. When he was around three years old, I saw that he was bent toward the drums. Why? Because you bought him some? No. Because he pulled all the pots and pans out from under the counter and built his own drum set. <laughs> you know, they wasn't tuned too great. That's the truth. Isn't it? I mean, he, he, would, he would assemble pots and pans around him at three years old and have him a drum party. That was the way he was bent. So we started buying drum sets and he would beat holes through them by another set. By, you know, and that's just, and at five years old, this is no exaggeration, no lie. I, I didn't have any position of leadership. In, at five years old, he was the drummer of the church that I attended. Not because we didn't have any other drummers, because he was the best at five. How, how did he get that? He was bent that way. He would sit in his room, turn on the, a gospel radio station, AM station back then, turn it on, listen to that music, and, and, and play drums to those songs. So at five, he's ready to go. I remember that we had two big crash cymbals and the, the business speakers would come and they would, they would hear the drums going and they'd look over and couldn't even see nobody playing them. <laughs> really, that happened so many times because he, 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 was, he couldn't set his butt on the seat and hit the hi-hat and all the pedals and, you know, bass. He couldn't even hit the pedals. So he would just lean on the seat and the, high, and the crash cymbals hit him and he'd be back there just tearing it up, you know. But we, we, we cooperated with the way God had bent him. In other words, we didn't try to bend him. Well, you got to do the family business. Well, you got to do what I've done. Or you got to do this or do that. You know, I was a, a paramedic for 20 years. You know, so I, but I never tried to shove out on nobody. But my youngest son, he, he, he went that way. And so he, he, he did that for years. You, you, you have to allow the way God's designed them. But a lot of parents are trying to get their identity in their kids. Well, I never want a pageant, but by God, I'm going to have you in every one of them. And there's nothing wrong with you. Don't get offended. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with you, but, but don't force your, don't try to get your identity from your kid because, see, you think your kid represents you. So if they're acting, acting a fool, you think it reflects on you. Like if your kid's not perfect all the time in what they're doing, then somehow you were a bad parent. 
Well, I guess God was a bad parent then. Because at this time, God ain't got but two kids. They screwed up royally. And they can't blame it on their environment because they was, their address was paradise. And they can't blame it on their parents because their daddy was God. So they didn't have a mama they could blame it on. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, God's kids didn't do what he wanted them to do. Why? Because they had free will. And the main thing is they listened to the wrong voice. They believed the wrong thing. And the main thing that they believed the wrong thing about, in other words, the inroad in there is they did not know and was not firm in their identity in God. Satan said, you need to do X, Y, Z, and you'll be like God. They were already like God. And that's what Satan does. He tries to get us to either not know. Some, you know, we, we grew up hearing this. Well, what you don't know won't hurt you. That's the biggest lie from hell. But we grew up hearing that. What you don't know won't hurt you. What you don't know is killing you. That's what the Bible says. My people, not sinners, my people are destroyed. Hosea 4, 6, for the lack of knowledge. Of, the lack of what they know is killing them. It's killing their finances. It's killing their marriage. It's killing their joy. It's killing them. Because they don't know. They just, they're uninformed or they're misinformed. And that's what religion does. The word, now religion means different things to different people, the word itself. But the word itself, religion, means bondage, bound, to be tied to something. I don't know of a better definition. That's what the literal definition of it is. You know, and you're not trying to get into a war of words, but I don't want your old-time religion. Because religion is about what you do. Grace is about what he did. It's, it's, it's just a totally different way. So our identity, so when we go through stuff and you go through tough times and, and everything don't work out just like right and you don't, you get the job. And I, I mean, I've been through, I mean, you know, I'm 60 years old. I've been through some things. I've, you know, hope I have some more things to go through. I'd like to hang around a while. But you got to learn something by now. And all I'm, all I'm saying is this, is, is I, I, have, I have way spent too many years when things happen that I didn't like to say these kind of thoughts either to myself or out loud or, or make it intercession. Well, God, I don't understand why and then fill it into the blank. I don't understand why you let this happen to me. I don't understand why I got laid off. I don't understand why this didn't work out. I, wanna, I don't understand... You know, and, and, and so then you just go right into the hole. And you're not, I'm talking about as believers, and you're not there, you know, saying, well, I don't, you, I mean, depression, despair. We got a lot of miserable Christians in the world. They are absolutely miserable. Because they, they're afraid to go to the return counter with Jesus, but the one that they signed up for is not the one they're experiencing every day. And when they hear people get on the stage and say, God's never failed me, they, they're sitting there feeling like a hypocrite or something because they're going, well, he sure did fail me because I lost my house or my marriage is gone or I buried my kid. or what? And, and the list just goes on and on and on. And they say, they say you know, but th th they're too afraid to come out and say, well, I feel like he failed me. Sure felt like he did. And it doggone looked like he did. But you feel like you're supposed to go along with it because somebody on the stage said, God never fails us. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you've been living on the same planet I have. 
I got time, I got incident after incident where if I go by that level of judgment, he failed me. He failed me. In other words, in that, in that moment, it didn't work out. It was not a win. There was a death. There was this or there was that. There was the end of that. You, you can't unscramble the egg. It's gone. You can't put it back. You can say kumbaya, sing hallelujah, glory to God, but you don't put that back. But see, the, the problem is not God. And God in himself has not failed any of us. But we have allowed that thought, that, 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 that our view of what it means to be a Christian. Because we thought Christianity was to bless me. It's all about me. I'm supposed to have a nice life. I'm not supposed to have any problems. I'm not supposed to get laid off on my job. I'm not supposed to have any challenges. I'm not supposed to have, and I'm supposed to have just a blessed life. And then when that doesn't happen, then we go into a hole. And then here we've got to minister to you now. Because you've been taught that you're supposed to be broken. You've been told that your identity is a sinner. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's a lie from hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. Never has taught that. Not one time in the whole New Testament does the Bible ever even allude to the fact that a born-again believer is anything other than a saint. But what do we do? We allow the old sayings of the church. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, Brother Dale. That's a lie. You're confessing a wrong identity. It, it makes a, it's a big deal. See, faith is really more a perspective of how you live your life. There are times that faith is, a, is somewhat of a weapon that you use to move mountains. But you're not speaking to God, you're speaking to the mountain. You're just simply saying you're not bigger than God. You're not telling God how big your mountain is, you're telling the mountain how big your God is. It's a whole different, it's a whole different way. So, yeah, you're going to, and, and, and I believe the mountain, there are symbolic of mountainous problems, huge things in our life, and, 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 and we're faced with those things. And, and you know, you, so you don't go into a, a pity party. You, you, you don't, if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. So we're not, we're not sitting there saying, well, God, you failed me. God never, there's not a verse in there that says, I promise you, you'll never have a bad day. There are verses that say, all that, you choose to live this life, they're going to suffer persecutions. How many's got that one on your refrigerator? You know what I'm saying? I mean, but I mean, you're so there, there's going to be some deals that I mean, the very fact that you got Romans 8 28 is proof that it ain't going to go like you want it to. For all, and we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord are called according to his word. So there's that verse itself is a testimony. There's going to some things happen that ain't going to feel good or look good, and you ain't going to see no good from it. But God said, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that thing around for you. Because it ain't over till it's over. And so, the, the, but the Christian life, and I'm not saying that you don't want to minister to people, but in other words, when you, you know, I've told you this before, I could stand up here as a preacher doing this 34 years preaching, I can start talking about, well, how many have been wounded by a daddy? How many have you wounded by your mama? How many have been this and that? And I just go through the litany of the list of hurts, soul hurts. I can have you crying. Right before I got you all broke up, then I give an altar call, I fill the altars up. Then I'll start laying hands on all of you, praying for you in ministry, and we can go home saying we had a good day. But see, that ministry is just to make you feel better in the moment. Now, what's going to help you to really live your life? To tell you what Colossians says. 
to tell you that Ephesians 1 says that, I, that you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To tell you what Colossians says, that you are complete in him and you lack nothing. But in the average Christian life that most of us grew up with, we, we never were told that. See, that's why a lot of preachers are fearful of the grace message in its undiluted form because they'll have to throw away 80% of their sermons because no more can you preach 12 steps to righteousness, 10, 10 steps to holy living because righteousness, according to the Bible in the New Testament, is a gift. Holiness, according to the Bible, is a gift. It's not something you achieved, it's something you received. You are declared, why, how dare we say we're righteous? Because God says you are. Where did the righteousness come from? From God. So that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the last few verses of that chapter teaches. It says that him who knew no sin became sin. Now where did Jesus get his sin? Did he himself sin? Where did he get it? He got it from us, he got it from the world. Now, did Jesus take away the sin of the world? This is always the big question to me. As you have to decide whether you believe that or not. When John the Baptist pointed at him and said, The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, either when Jesus came, that's what he came for, did he take it away or not? The sin of the world. That's why God's not angry, and anybody that ever presents a God that is angry is just, they're just ignorant. Isaiah says that they, God, the prophet Isaiah prophesied. He said that I was God said I was angry with you for a moment, but he start, He said, but this here is like the waters of Noah to me. God is putting this new covenant in that kind of a big deal. How many knows the waters of Noah? That was a big deal. God had to do something to change the whole world. Now in this situation, he says like the waters of Noah to me. He said, I was angry with you for a moment. In other words, what was that moment? It's when they agreed to live up to the law. To live up to the law, and they did not keep their end. And God's wrath and judgment was upon that in that moment. But God says, I swear to you that when this new covenant comes, he said, I will never be angry with you again, nor shall I ever remove my kindness from thee. And, and, and yet, what do we have? We, we got people running around saying, you know, God sent hurricane because he was ticked off at somebody. And, and they make out God is no better than a mafia guy. He's going to drown a few people in Houston with a flood, kill a few people by Katrina in New Orleans, kill people with hurricanes and tornadoes to get our attention. It's blasphemous. Jesus either paid for the sin of the world, which he did, or, me, or we waiting on somebody else to pay for it because we can't pay for it. That's why he had to come. And so you have to decide what gospel version you're going to believe. You're going to believe what the Bible says or you're going to believe what people say. And, and so it likes to leave you incomplete. So I spent all those years. And I know you might get tired of hearing me say it, but that's just, a, you know, we, so we pray for them. Oh, God, give us the mind of Christ. And Paul said, you have the mind of Christ. Never does anybody in the New Testament pray for the mind of Christ. What do you get in average? Oh, Lord, give us the mind of Christ. Because what you're saying then, God's a liar. He didn't give it to you. Paul said, you have it. Well, I do. Do, do I have it? That's why you're not using it, because you don't even know you got it. Again, what you don't know. 
Well, where do I have that at? In your spirit. Now, you have to understand that we're not displaying that full righteousness and the holiness and all that. I mean, we admit that. But this whole deal like, well, you know, to make and allow people to stay broke as a believer is such a tragedy. You are spirit, soul, and body. And when you got born again, in other words, you, when you got born, you got all of Adam's junk. You were born in that fallen state. You were born dead in trespasses and sin. Is that right? So you got all that. You didn't even have to pray for it, did you? Come automatically. You didn't have to try to display anger. It just come out. Just, where'd that come from, Adam? Come from Adam. But listen, just like that, so the remedy was not a paint job on a bad car. The remedy was nail this one to the cross with Christ. That's what whole baptism service is about. Old person gone, buried. New person raised up. So just like you got that automatically from Adam but didn't have to pray for it, then when you get born again by the last Adam, then that also is automatic too. You don't have to pray for that either. So what do you get with the last Adam born again? Righteousness, peace, joy, holiness. You get it all. But you have to understand that that happened in your spirit. So, you, you, so this, this is so, nobody's perfect, Brother Dale. I know that. I live on the same planet you do. I know I'm not perfect in my manifestation of what I want to manifest on behalf of Christ and his kingdom, but I am perfect. And if you're not perfect, you ain't going to heaven because God does not grade on the curve. Seventy ain't passing. You're not going to heaven with making a 70. You ain't going to heaven making a 99.9. Only thing going to get you in heaven is a perfect score by perfect sacrifice by a perfect Savior that shed his perfect blood. And that's the only thing that's going, and you're not going in on one speck or one ounce of sweat from you. None. But only perfect people go to heaven. See that, you see how that goes down? It goes down like a rat sandwich. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Too close to lunch. <laughs> and I'm trying, oh, I don't know I've said this before. Listen, I'm just trying to get you to see. The first, the first uh, major sermon, we'll say it that way, the Mount of Olives sermon that Jesus preached. The last, chap, the last verse of chapter 5, and it goes through 5, 6, and 7, long sermon. Jesus said, be ye perfect. He says my requirement, be you perfect. Uh, then he defined perfection. Be ye perfect even as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect. In other words, you've got to be as perfect as God to go. He said, without wholeness, no man shall even see God. Wholeness. Not your version of wholeness, not what your church calls wholeness, not what you adapt to your culture and call wholeness, but what God calls wholeness. So if that's God's requirement, how do you get it? Any preacher to tell you, try harder, hang in there, 
Do you? See, that's why they fear the grace message because it takes away most of the sermons that are performance-based, and it puts all your rest. That's why Jesus said, come and learn of me. Take my yoke, it's easy. My burden is not. Why? Because you, didn't, you ain't doing this. All you got to do is believe in this. Amen. I'm not saying that God don't want us to, to live holy lives and righteous lives. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying, and then, well, you're saying we can sin like crazy. You've been sinning anyway. This right here is the power that overcomes sin. This is what the whole book of Romans is about. Sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, you're under grace. Grace, it, it, the Bible says that, that grace has taught us to say no to ungodliness, unrighteousness. And so anybody that says, I'm preaching grace, and just go live like you want to and just enjoy your sin, that's, that's just a spirit of stupid. The real power to live this life is by the grace of God. I told you I grew up in a church that they sung every Sunday Amazing Grace, but they didn't, nobody seemed to be amazed about it, including the pastor. And the only thing, I, I never heard one sermon on the grace of God. Never one. And the only time I ever heard grace mentioned was, oh, you think old cheap, greasy grace? And that, that kind of slang. In other words, if grace was mentioned, it was mentioned to chop on it and, and say it's kind of a bad thing. Oh, greasy grace or slippery grace or cheap grace or whatever. You know, so we, we, we thought grace was a bad thing. And it was all about just keeping everybody in line with the rules, regulations, and the fear. And obeying the rules. You know, and the Bible says, God says in Ephesians, he gives the Holy Spirit and he gives it to you forever. And I thought the Holy Spirit come and went based on what I did. You need to put that sin under the blood, brother. Yeah? So now you're the Messiah, huh? You're putting sin under the blood or not putting. You see how stupid that is? That's not in the Bible. Better plead the blood over that situation. You don't plead the blood. The blood pleads for you. No, there's so much that we do that we've, that we've done that is not in the Bible and we've been fooled to think it was and all I'm saying is when you live your life based on sonship when you go through difficult times and everything don't work out so in other words so let's just take a scenario you can say okay you go to work boom they hand you the pink slip that day or whatever they say I'm sorry Companies redoing this, resetting up, whatever, we, we, you know, you're laid off. Then you just, you didn't see it coming. You didn't even know. You didn't even know they was repositioning the company. Or, so you, you, you've been laid off. Okay, how are you going to act in that moment? How am I going to act in that moment? What's your first thought? Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Now, most people live in so check to check that, you know, they don't even know how they're going to buy another tank of gas for the next week if they don't get a paycheck. And that's not a condemnation. It's just a wake-up kind of a deal. It's one reason we're doing the, the financial class classes here, trying to help people don't live like that. At least have three months set up where you could go three months with not, not needing a check. Still pay your bills without somebody coming and getting you stuff. Just not a wise way to live. You know, I know you go through stuff where you may find yourself in that position, but don't, don't stay in that position. Okay? 
And but you know, but what are we gonna do? Okay, so we just, oh my God, I didn't see it's coming. What am I gonna do? And then just fear rushes in and anxiety and worry. And then we pick up the phone and we call our spouse and we just dump all that right on them. And now they are all doing this. And then we go home and we carry that home with us. And if the kids there, they're 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 catching the vibes of all that coming out of us. And then we go, we, we go wherever we go, and we're carrying that with us, and that becomes our identity, the crisis of the moment that we're in. And, oh, God, and then, and then all our prayers are just, you know, oh, God, please, you know, and you're just begging God to help you before you sink and go down. Any of that sound familiar to anybody? What, 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 I just wonder if this is possible. Okay, you got laid off. And then you so you just talk to Papa, Father. feel like I've been gut punched here. I didn't see this coming. But you know what? I know you're my papa. And I know that you've provided for me and this family. And I didn't see this coming, but it didn't, it didn't catch you by surprise. And so I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to go knock some doors. I'm going to trust you to open them. And I know you're going to be there and help my family and help us to get through this and find something else and keep this thing going. And what if we, what if we handled it that way? And then when you call the spouse, instead of just throwing that on, say, listen now, I'm going to tell you something, baby. <laughs> this ain't going to be good news to you, but I got laid off today. And what are we going to do? i tell you what we're going to do. The Lord's going to help us here. Uh, you know, he's always provided for us. It, you know, we didn't, some way or another, everything's going to be all right now. And we're just going to pray, and we're going to give you thanks. God, I just thank you that I'm still your son. You, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And I know I don't know where I'm going to work, but I'm going to be working somewhere. And I know you, you saw this coming for idea. And, and we just take a whole different uh, attitude. And you know what you're doing in that moment while everybody else, all them other 10, 12 people that got laid off, they're freaking out, cursing God, leaving church. I ain't going to church no more. I ain't reading, you know, all that stuff. Then what you're doing is you're shining. In other words, you're displaying that there, there's a different foundation for you. Your foundation is not in your job. Your security is not in your job. It's not in, it's not in a paycheck. It's not in all that kind of stuff. But it's in Christ. Christ doesn't change. I'm still his kid. I'm in Christ. Christ's in me. It's just a whole different deal. And, 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 and we, we, listen, there's things going to happen to us as believers. And, and that's why sometimes, that's why we got a lot of folks saying, I used to go to church. Now, some of it, you know, when I, people say, well, I used to go to church, I say, well, is it people stuff? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. And I say, well, I don't really want to talk about it either. <laughs> but what I do want to talk about is you're letting that, you know, in other words, they hurt you, so that defines you. So you made a life-changing decision based on them, not based on him. See, but if you're making decisions based on him, that's why love never fails, because his love never fails. Because his love is always unconditional, and he's already proved it while we were sinners, he loved us. Went and died on the cross for us, so we don't have to get God to, to, to do anything. I mean, you know, I, I, I get this a lot. Well, I wish the Lord would do this, this, and this to show me that he loves me. I said, you don't need this, this, and this. He's already showed you that he loved you. You ever heard of the cross? You ever heard of Jesus? He did that for you. He's already demonstrated. He's proven that he loved you, and he didn't need you to clean up first. He needed to get your stuff together. He, he loved you while you was yet a sinner, not while you was yet trying. While you was yet a sinner, Christ Jesus died for you. And so him who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So where did he, where again, where did Jesus, I, I, where did Jesus get his sin? From us. 
Where do we get our righteousness? From him. You see what I'm saying? So Jesus, did, is the first part of that verse true? Did Jesus become sin? Did he get it from us? Then that means the B portion of that verse is true. So the righteousness came upon us as a gift from him. Did we do any righteous deed or act that caused that righteousness to come upon us? No. But now that we've been declared righteous, then why don't we live righteous? And why don't we live true to ourselves and live out of the revelation of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the peace of God and, and, and let, that came, let that be manifested on the outside? And so over and over, it says, be ye perfect, be ye holy. Well, how are we going to do that? In Hebrews, I, that's why I love Hebrews. I love that book so much. But it, it says these sacrifices that they offered year after year for sin, we're never able to make those who, the worshipers, perfect. So God's goal has always been perfection. But it says, but in their sacrifices, there was a continual remembrance of their sins. And see, that's why Adam tried to fix his own problem, because he, instead of being God conscious, then he became sin conscious. And the Bible says in Hebrews that, that, that once, if the sacrifice works, there would be no more consciousness of sin. And yet we live with a church world as a whole that is just mesmerized, focused on sin consciousness. And they preach and talk about it all the time. And, and when the Bible says lay aside every sin and the weight thereof that so easily hinders you, the next verse has to be included. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So how do you lay aside sin? You look to Jesus. I told you, if you're trying to overcome eating sweets, don't stare at pie. It don't help none. Okay? So if you're trying to overcome sin, don't talk about sin. Don't stare at sin. Stare at Jesus. Stare at Jesus. This is how you overcome. And in fact, this is how you've already overcome. You've already overcome in him. Can you say amen to that? I want you to stand to your feet today. Let's give God, give God praise. Would you do it? I don't want you to be at the return counter with Jesus trying to return him. Say, I think I got the wrong one. And I'm not sitting here saying, you know, we, you know, we look for trouble or whatever. That's why the Bible says, it don't say for all things, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, make your, praise, your, your, your prayer known to God. And if you do that, the peace of God, it, it'll surpass your understanding. It'll guard your hearts and your mind. And when you go through things, and, and I pray you don't have nothing tomorrow, but when you go through things, everything don't turn out just right. I ain't prophesying layoffs on you. Don't walk out of here. I'm just trying to use an example of things that just rattle our cages, man. And we go, my God, what am I going to do? And I tell you, I wish I could tell you that I've always been that guy that would just kind of be stable and go, well, no, I've been the other guy. That's why I know that voice too well. I've been the guy that freaked out, anxiety, worry, dread, fear, what we're going to do, how we're going to make it. And, and, and you know, and I, I don't want to be that guy because as I've read the Bible, particularly this year, the Apostle Paul, his life, and the way he responded to difficulties really has you know, waken me to the difference. That's not the way, you know, I don't know if I got beaten, thrown in prison just because I did what God wanted me to do, that I'd be praising him. 
I mean, and I don't mean fake praising like, I, you know, I don't understand all this and I'm really all broke and bent up and beat up, but I'm just going to praise God so that way I'll have something to say at church, you know, kind of deal. No, but out of his heart, he just praised God because it didn't change anything. Still a son. And you know what was so wonderful about that? When that Philippian jailer saw that. Now, here's a guy who's to commit suicide. I wonder if there's people in this world that are contemplating suicide. I wonder how many people in church are contemplating suicide. But yet when that person that was contemplating suicide saw Paul and how he responded in that trial, you know what his response was? Put down the sword. And then he said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? In other words, I want what you got. I see something different in your life that's totally different. Now, here, I was just to kill myself. Self, it's all about self. I'm going to kill myself before the king can kill me because I'll kill myself quicker than he will. That's what the dude was going to do. But now, it's not about self. It's about what must I do to be saved. I know you've heard me say this before, but this is the answer. In other words, what must I do to be saved? Paul did not say, bow your head, close your eyes, Confess your sin. And almost every church does this wrong because they're not doing it like the Bible. I just, I'm challenging us. I'm calling for us to go back to the Bible. Do you, do you think Paul the apostle knew how to get a guy saved? Anybody? So he never mentions the word sin to him. Never mentions the word. Why didn't he mention it? Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, took it away. He took away the sin, not only of that guy, but of the world. So sin's not your problem. Your problem is unbelief in the goodness and the grace of God. Because it's the goodness of God that leads men to change. It's not the wrath of God. It's not dangling them over hell on a rotten stick. It's telling them their identity, who you are. Come back home. Come to Papa. Jesus didn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life into heaven. He said, I'm the way back to the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is not about going to heaven and getting a mansion. This is about getting back to the Father, getting back in God. It's what it's about. So Paul didn't do it like most churches do. And he didn't say, by your head, say the sinner's prayer, because none of that's in the Bible. So what did Paul tell this heathen Philippian jailer? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your whole household. Well, this thing's powerful, brother. You ain't going to go home saved and your family stay lost. This thing's powerful. And I've told you this. And if you need another, you say, well, that's just one abstract. You do. The book of Romans, chapter 10, any Christian will tell you Romans 10 tells you how to be saved. That if you, can, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Is that right? Not one time is the word sin mentioned in the whole 10th chapter. The only thing God's asking you to confess for salvation is confess his righteousness. Confess what he did. He's not asking you to confess your sin. God already knows about your sin. That's why he sent Jesus to take it away. So don't waste time talking about it. That's down there. That's the old dirt life. Stand up and get up with God. Come up into him. And you'll automatically leave that behind. You won't have to go through 37 weeks of counseling because you just step out of that, out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
That, that's him. And it's just an identity of where you are, who you are, and the why of your life as a Christian. Was Jesus just an add-on so you'd have a better life, make it more comfortable, get your bills paid, have a fire insurance policy for the end? No. It's to put heaven in you. For you to shine in those times when everything don't go your way. Because there's people in them jails, in them, may not be a literal prison, it may not be literal suicide, but there's people that's bound in prison, bound in bondages, bound in stuff, contemplating suicide. But when they see you go through stuff that ain't perfect and ain't just right, and they see you still give praise and glory and honor to God, and it don't change one dab of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're just, I mean, it's not like you're oblivious to that. I mean, you got real problems. So yeah, that's, that's difficult. But you know in the end, God got you. That this thing, I mean, God's still your papa. God's my daddy. I'm his kid. I don't know how, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like, but I know God's going to do it. God's going to get it done. But when they see you just praising him, then they go, there's something different here. Because anybody can collapse like a $2 suitcase. You hear what I'm saying? Anybody can fold up like that. You don't even have to be, you can fold up like that without Jesus. You don't, it's just ridiculous. But we don't have any reason to. As I look back now, I got more behind me probably than I do in front of me. But all the stuff that I've went through, you know what he's always done? He brought me through. He's brought me through. He's brought me through. And it doesn't always look like, feel right, you know, but he brought me through it. And, and me and my wife, we've had this conversation, you know, and when we've gone through stuff, and I have told her, I am getting a little better, ain't it, babe? A little better? But I said, you know, looking at God's track record with us, He's always been faithful. And in that regard, he has never failed us. No, not one time. And he's always brought us through. He's always been, been there with us. He's always been there in us. He's always been there for us. He's never left us. He's never forsook us. He's been just as true to his word as he always said he would be. And, and, and he's stable. He's the only thing that's totally stable. Everything else in my life is changing including my body, including me, include, it changes, but he don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he doesn't change. Amen? Now, I hope you're encouraged with that today. Would you give God praise if you receive it today? I want my elders to come, and, and we're here to serve you, pray with you. If you desire prayer for any reason, greatest reason, is just come up and tell us, man, you put your faith in Jesus today. You accept him as your Lord and Savior. I promise you, he'll accept you. He, he loves you. Father, help us today to, to live our lives with the secure foundation of son and daughter, that we are your kids, that you chose us before the foundation of the world in him, that we are secure in him. Father, we thank you for putting Christ in me and putting us in Christ. We praise you for that miracle. Help us, God, to shine in times of persecution and things that are not going like we would write our own script and have it to go. Let those Philippian jailer type folks see something different in our lives. and Let them, Lord God, say, what must I do to be saved, to have what you've got? God, I pray you would help us to be that light, that lamp set on a hill 
that they could see and know you, to know your kingdom, to know your love, to know your grace. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Grace Point, we dismiss you guys. If you want prayer, please come up here. We're waiting to greet you down front. God bless you.